the way that he did mine. Mark chapter number 4. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 35. The Word of God says, In the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Look at verse 40 once more. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Let's pray together. Father, I love you tonight. I thank you for the high and holy privilege it is to stand here and preach your word. Lord, I thank you that you've given me an audience with hearts that are tender and open and willing to hear the preached word of God. And I pray tonight we'd not take that lightly. I pray that you would stir and speak and exhort and encourage. And Lord, that you would do in our hearts and minds and lives that which would bring you the most glory. Lord, we love you tonight and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm very interested in what the Lord says in verse number 40. Now, this is a familiar passage of Scripture. I'd say there's not very many in this room that have not heard this, preached upon, probably read it, uh, maybe studied it, maybe taught or preached on it yourself. But the thing that fascinates me, the, this storm arises, it begins to beat the side of the ship, the Bible says that the water began to flood into the ship insomuch that verse 37 says that it was now full. Uh, I've often said that the greater miracle here is not that he calmed the storm, but that he kept the boat afloat. Somebody say amen to that. I don't know about you, and I, I'm no boat builder, amen, but I know when a boat gets full, it don't stay above water. And the Bible says that it was full. And we know how the Lord Jesus was asleep in the hinder part of the ship upon a pillow and how they cried unto Him and, and pleaded unto Him and prayed unto Him and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And how He arose and rebuked the storm and the sea was made calm. But what I want us to notice tonight is verse 40 and the rebuke that He gives to them. See, there's two rebukes here. He rebukes the storm, but He also rebukes the servants. And he says to them, why are ye so, and I want you to notice this word, why are ye so fearful? And then he asks this question, how is it that ye have no faith? Fear and faith are laid one aside each other in this passage of Scripture. And I'm reminded tonight that, you know, we're all going to face trials and difficulties and storms, things that by definition are beyond our control. Sometimes they are of our making. Sometimes they are not of our making. But uh, mark her down. You're going to face these moments in life. The question is not whether we can stop the storm. The question is not really whether we can cause the storm. The question tonight is this. How will we meet the waves when they come crashing? See, every one of us has a choice tonight. Whatever we're going through, are we going to meet it in fear or are we going to meet it in faith? We have the choice as to whether or not 
we're going to meet it in faith or not. And the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, how God wants us to meet it. The Bible says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, the Lord wasn't upset that they were in this boat. He had commanded them to get in the boat. The Lord wasn't upset because the storm had come. He had beckoned the storm to come. The Lord, I don't even believe, was upset that they had awoke Him. I don't even believe the Lord was necessarily upset that they had implored Him to change their circumstances. What He was upset about was that when things got tough, rather than trusting in Him, they began to tremble and to see what was not going to happen, but what they believed most certainly would. And it got me to thinking, you know, there's a lot to be said about perspective in life. It's funny because I believe that when you look at this passage, I believe you can see two different things, whether you look at it in fear or whether you look at it in faith. It reminded me of a little five-year-old boy named Johnny that was in the kitchen with his mother one day and she was making supper and she asked him to go to the pantry and to get a, a can of tomato soup. And Johnny, like so many kids are, was afraid. And she told it, he told his mommy, he said, I don't want to go in there. It's dark in there and I'm scared. And uh, she told him, she said, well, son, don't worry. Even in the dark, Jesus will be with you. You go get it. Jesus will go with you even in there. And that little boy hesitantly walked towards it, trying to figure some way out of it. And he had just about made his mind up that he was going to tell his mama no and get the discipline that would come from it. But then all of a sudden, an idea occurred to him. And he opened that door up and he said, Jesus, if you're in there, would you hand me that can of tomato soup? He had chose to meet it in fear. But when we come to these things, we ought to meet them in faith. There was a Methodist missionary by the name of Dr. Stanley Jones that made this statement. He said, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are not my native air. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. He says, we are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain, cell, and soul for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. For the believer to live by worry is to live against reality. See, the reality, and we see several of them tonight, was that this storm was never going to sink this ship. There was no chance of it, because the God of all creation was on that boat. The question was never if the storm would win. The question was how would they meet the waves. And I want you to notice four things that, that depending on how you look at them, they can determine what we do with the storms that we face. I want you to think with me, number one, about the path of the storm. Now, I don't know exactly what path this storm took, but I know that the disciples were directly in line with it. And I know that this was by divine appointment. Look back at verse number 35. The Bible says, In the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Now, I don't know if your Bible reads like mine, but I see that's in red letters and it was the very Son of God, God in the flesh, the Creator of the universe Himself, that told the disciples, let us pass over. They were in that boat by divine mandate and by divine will and by divine appointment. You know, one of the hardest things when you face storms in life 
is trying to figure out where you went wrong. And let me say that there are times that the storms in our life are brought about through chastening and God's trying to get our attention. But oftentimes the storms in our life are not the result of some misstep that we've taken. And one of the most uh, troubling things is trying to figure out how you wound up in this mess in the first place. I think we can say without any hesitation that they were in this storm because God wanted them in this storm. And so they had a choice. In fear, they could look at his leadership as a source of confusion. They could have looked at it and said, well, I guess Jesus didn't know this storm was going to pop up. You know, it's almost funny when we say it right now, because we know who Jesus is. We know He's the Son of God. We know He's God in the flesh. We know He is, is divinely omniscient. We know that He knew. I mean, listen, it's, it amazes me sometimes the way these weather forecasters... We give the weatherman a lot of grief. I do it. Everybody does it. I was making fun of him this past Sunday. I can't remember what I said, but he'd be upset about it, I'm sure, if he heard it. But has it ever dawned on you that they can find these storms, oftentimes starting, I'm talking about thousands of miles away, and they can track them on these things, and they can see these storms coming. And oftentimes they can project. Now you say, preacher, they might be off by a hundred miles. They do better than me or you would. Somebody say amen to that. I wouldn't have a clue where it was going to go. I'd say it's spinning. It might just spin in a circle there. I don't know. But has it ever dawned on you that God, before a storm is ever even formed, He knows it's going to, it's going to form? He knows what path it'll take. He, he's counted the numbers of drops of rain that will fall from it. And they could have looked at this and said, God must have fell off His throne. He doesn't know what He's doing because if He did, I wouldn't be in this mess. And we're all prone to do that. It's a confusing thing. It reminds us, and it seems like just yesterday we preached on this storm on a Wednesday night in the book of Acts when the Apostle Paul is found in the midst of that storm, Eurachlodon. And the Bible talks about how that there was neither stars nor moon for many days. And uh, it was a confusing thing. They navigated by the stars, and they didn't know where to go. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how they got there or where they was going to wound up. It was a confusing thing. And sometimes if we operate in fear, we'll start, to, we'll start to get to thinking that God doesn't know what He's doing. God always knows what He's doing. They in fear could have looked at this and seen and believed that His leadership was a source of confusion. Or they could approach it in faith and believe His leadership to be a source of comfort. You know what the better thing would have been to do? Instead of saying, how do we wind up here? Jesus has messed up. God has messed up. God must have not known what He was doing. The far greater way to approach it would have been to say this, there's a lot that I don't know, but I know I'm here by the will of God. And so God must know what He's doing. Even when I don't understand, even when I can't make sense out of it. I'll tell you as a pastor that there are times you sit beside bedsides of people dying and you can't make sense out of it and you grope and grasp for words that will somehow be a balm and a, and a medicine to them. And I've told people time and again at, at funeral homes and in the procession lines, hey, listen, if I had magic words that make all the pain go away, I would have put them in a book, and I would have been a billionaire long before. Now, uh, you stand in situations that you do not know what to do, and it, it's, a, it's a very troubling thing, and it's a very humbling thing to realize that oftentimes you're tasked to take uh, the, the truth of God and to be a comforter to people in in a way that only God can be. There's times you don't know what to do and all you can do is look at them and say, I don't know what's going on, but I know God knows what's going on. 
We get to choose whether we will see this as a place of confusion and consternation or whether we will plant our flag and say, I don't understand everything, but I understand that God loves me and that God wants what's best for me and that God knows what's best for me. And even though the stars and the moon haven't appeared in many days and I don't know where this storm is taking me, I know that the God of all creation is in control. And He has a reason for this. I think the path of the storm is a place where you can approach in either fear or faith. I think the potential of the storm is a place that you can approach either in fear or in faith. You know, we spend more time being worried about things that will never happen than we ever spend praying about things that have already happened. We spend more time. It's amazing, you know, worry, and you've heard this before, that worry borrows on troubles that haven't arrived yet And think about all the hours you've spent in your life worrying about things that never materialized in the first place. All it did was rob tomorrow of the joy and today of the joy that God would have had us to have. They looked at this storm and they saw two things were possible. They could look at this storm and in fear they could say, this is an occasion to perish. They believed that. They said to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? They believed they were going to die on that sea that night. And I'll tell you this, there are times you will face things in life where better people than you or me have been sunk by them. Here's the distinguishing factor in who winds up in their 80s and 90s walking with God and who doesn't. It's not fortitude of the will. It's faithfulness to God's Word and communion with Him. There ain't nobody walks through this life unscathed and untouched because they're just that good and just that great. People that walk with God in faithfulness don't do it because of their own faithfulness. They do it through God's faithfulness. And they do it through daily communion with Him. There ain't no secret. There ain't no workaround. There ain't no shortcut. There ain't no substitute to daily spending time with God. That's how the race is run. That's how the battle is won. And there are times in life where you'll face things where the sheer reality of it is this, that you have the choice whether it's going to sink your walk with God or not. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. We know we're sealed under the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit of promise. But I'm talking about we all know people that wind up shipwrecked and their life is in pieces. And you'll face things that are real dangers. Real dangers. I've faced things in my life, in my ministry, in my home, and uh, certainly I've seen in the lives and homes of so many people. I remember counseling with somebody one day, and uh, I was sitting talking to him, and I, I told him this. There, there was something had occurred in, in their relationship, and I made this statement to him. I said, this does not have to end your marriage. It can end your marriage if you let it. But this is not too big for you to overcome. It's your choice of what you do from this moment forward. Thankfully, in that scenario, people followed God and loved each other and got through it. But I've seen people whose marriages and lives and walks with God have been derailed by far less. They could have looked at this thing and said, we're perishing, and they did. They approached it in fear. But you know what would have been better? If in faith they had saw it not as an occasion to perish, but instead as an occasion to pray. You know what's fascinating is their attitude is completely wrong. They say, we perish. Now, I don't know what we means to you, but when I say we, I mean everybody that that pertains to. When they said we, they didn't just mean like we as in the disciples. They meant we as in us and Jesus, you too. 
We're all going to perish. And of course, what they understood about his deity, uh, we don't know necessarily, but certainly this was a statement that was not in keeping with the divine power of Christ. Their attitude was all wrong, but their action was right. It took me a little while to get around my mind around this. I'll be honest. As I began to study for this message, it was, it was the idea of prayer in the storm and what we do. And one of the things I struggled with is it almost looks like the Lord rebukes them for praying. They come to Him and they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And I'm going to be honest with you. I got convicted in my heart because I thought about how many times, maybe not in those words, but I've said the same thing to God. I've said, Lord, I'm in trouble. My life's a mess. What do I do? I'm in trouble. And I thought, was that not the right thing to do? But here's the thing. The problem was not that they prayed. The problem was the attitude with which they prayed. The right thing to do in any situation is to pray. You'll never regret praying. There'll never come a moment in your life when you say, boy, it would all turn out better if I just hadn't took time to pray. Prayer is always the right answer. And they should have looked at it and said, yeah, this could be an opportunity to perish, but instead I'm going to assume this is a good opportunity for me to stop and to talk to God about it and to beg God's favor and to seek the Lord about it. I think the potential of the storm was a place where they could meet either in fear or in faith. But then I think the presence that was in the storm was something they could meet either in fear or in faith. They met it in fear. But we see something far grander when we look through the prism of faith. Think about what they said to him. Master, carest thou not that we perish? They saw his sleeping as a sign of indifference. God, you don't care about us. If you cared, we wouldn't be going through this. If you cared, we wouldn't be facing this. If you cared, the storms wouldn't be raging. The winds wouldn't be blowing. God, if you only cared. And how many times? Come on, let God convict you for a moment. How many times have you thought the same thing? Now, you might be too spiritual or too hypocritical. I don't know which, but too too much of something to say it. But we've all thought it. And it's not that we deny the theological reality of the love of God, but we struggle to reconcile it with our circumstances. And we look at it and we say this, if God cared, He'd do something about it. If God cared, He'd do something about it. I thought about what God sees that we don't see. And I jotted this down in a a, a book called How Life Imitates the World Series. Dave Boswell tells a story about Earl Weaver, the former manager of the Baltimore Orioles. Sports fans will know uh, Reggie Jackson who played for him. And uh, Weaver had a rule that no one could steal a base unless he was given the steal sign. Nobody could steal a base. And this upset Reggie Jackson because he felt like he knew the pitchers and the catchers well enough. He could judge uh, who he could and could not steal off of. So one day they were playing a game and uh, Reggie Jackson decided that he would steal without getting the sign. And he got a good jump off the pitcher and easily beat the throw to second base. And as he shook the dirt off his uniform, Jackson smiled with delight, feeling he had vindicated his judgment to his manager. Later on, Earl Weaver took Jackson aside and explained why he hadn't given the steal sign. First, the next batter was Lee May, his best power hitter other than Jackson. When Jackson stole second, first base was left open, so the other team just walked May, intentionally taking the bat out of his hands. Second, the following batter hadn't been strong against that pitcher, so Weaver felt like he had to send up a pinch hitter to try to drive in the men on the base. That left Weaver without strength later in the game when he needed it. The problem was Jackson saw only his relationship to the pitcher and catcher. 
Weaver was watching the whole game. We too see only what we see, but God sees the bigger picture. You know why he went to sleep in the back of that boat? Because he knew what the outcome would be. You know why God's not changing your circumstances? It's not because God don't care about you. It's because God knows what's going to happen. We could take it as a sign of indifference, or we could, by faith, see his sleeping as a sign of divine invincibility. He slept in that boat because he knew that boat wasn't going to go down. Not as long as he was on that boat. And I don't have this in my notes, but I just want to say, just to reference it, the way we meet the silence of God, we can either meet it in fear or in faith. You know, he was asleep, but and they took that to mean he didn't care. But you know what we ought to do? We ought to take that as a sign of divine intent. God's never silent by accident. God's awful proud of his word, and he should be. He's exalted his word above his name. God's not afraid to speak when, when we need to be spoken to. He was asleep because he was testing them. How would they meet the storm. I think the presence in the storm. But let me give you one final thing and I'll be done. So everything turns out well. You know the story. We've read it tonight, but I didn't have to read it to you for you to know it. No doubt you've read it many times. Verse 39 says, And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Now notice what happens next in verse 41. And they feared exceedingly. Now, I understand there's a difference between fear in the sense of terror and fear in the sense of of godly reverence. But stop and think about this. They feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I think we can approach the product of the storm, either in fear or in faith. Here's what they saw. They saw that this miracle was a rescue. They learned something about the power and magnitude of God, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But they missed the greater lesson. They walked away from it not with greater faith, but with greater fear. They walked away saying, God is a, is a magnificent God, and this Jesus, and I, I don't know what they believed about Him at this time. When they talk about Him, they say, what manner of man is this? They didn't say anything about Him being God. They were impressed, but they were not changed by what had taken place. You know what we oftentimes do? I'll just be honest with you. We get into a mess. We pray. We ask God to change our circumstances. God comes in. He rescues us. And we go, whew, boy, thank the Lord for that. And we go on and never learn anything from it. He saw, they saw the miracle as a rescue, and certainly it was. It was deliverance. God had delivered in their situation. But you know what would have been far better if they had learned and seen by faith that this miracle was a revelation of His person? They asked an interesting question. What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Well, we know what the answer to that is. It isn't no manner of man. It's the Son of Man, but the only reason it's the Son of Man is because He's also the Son of God. You know what they should have walked away saying? They should have walked away saying, truly, like the Roman soldier, truly this man is the Son of God. God never lets anything happen in your life, but what His design is to give Himself glory and to be for your good. God didn't listen. And I don't know everything they learned and understood about this storm. We learned some things, by the way, that they wrote about it many years later. 
But we can understand this, that there in that moment when they left it, they didn't derive the great and grand truth that you and I derive. They asked a question that they themselves hadn't even answered in their hearts yet. They didn't necessarily see this as proof of His divine authority. They said this is a great miracle, but it was more than a miracle. It was a manifestation of His personhood. And here's the thing that I want to ask. When you get out of this storm, what are you going to learn from it? Is it going to make you walk closer to God? That's why He does it. You know that, right? To draw you closer to Him. Are you going to walk away and just say, Whew, boy, I'm glad God did that. God's awful impressive. Or are you going to learn something more about who He is, how He loves you? Are you going to let it draw you closer unto Him? We all have a choice how we want to meet the storms in life. We can't control when the storms come and when they don't. But we can choose whether we're going to meet them in fear or in faith. I want a purpose in my heart and life. Every time the wind blows, to meet it in faith. And to say, God, you have a reason and a purpose because you love me and you know what you're doing. And God, show me what you're teaching me through this.